Hello, you're listening to Art, Activism, and Adventure. My name is Michaela Demers, and today I'm sitting in the Peace Flag House in the West End of Toronto with Sarah Jean Harrison. Sarah's work spans a vast range of titles, including web developer and designer, social media storyteller, fiber artist, and contemporary landscape painter. As an activist, Sarah is working in the local fiber shed movement supporting sustainable and ethical fashions. She's involved in current and past projects, including hashtag the subway knits, the 50 mile coat and the sustainable fashion series. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Sarah's also knitting. And I, I like that. What are you knitting right now? I am knitting one of the subway knits hats, although technically I'm on my couch and not in the subway. Are you always supposed to knit? Okay, wait. Okay, no, wait. We have to back up first. <laughs> I have so many questions, and I think I need to start at the beginning. Okay, first question. We're in the Peace Flag House. Yes. What is the Peace... I mean, this is obviously the Peace Flag House, but what is the Peace Flag House? So, the Peace Flag House got its name from the two rainbow peace flags that we have flying outside. You likely saw them. Yeah. They're hard to miss. It was easy to find your place, because I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we first put our rainbow flag up on the very front of the house on the kind of the patio level. Right. And uh, we were the victim of some hate crimes as a result. So oh, wow. we lost a bumper sticker that was a rainbow flag that said celebrate diversity. And then the next week the flag was stolen. So we put up another one. Yeah, I mean, you got to. And then the next week it was stolen and the flagpole was destroyed. Oh. Uh, wait, the story continues. Okay. <laughs> this is big. So uh, we put up another one then and uh, called the media. And so we got it like 10 seconds on CBC, which was awesome. Yeah. And so we put up two flags on the second floor. And, you know, like, okay, hater, bring it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we decided that, you know, we're across from a high school. There is likely a lot of queer bashing going on in the high school. So we want the kids to be able to look out. And even if they don't know us, they know that there's someone out there that's got their back. Yeah. And uh, it was great. I mean, when the flags went up, it was no big deal. But when they came down, people really noticed. And so people in the neighborhood were stopping us and being like, you're going to put it back up, right? Because, you know, my brother's gay or I really appreciate that and blah, 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 all this stuff. Wow. So we did. And everything seemed okay. And then the graffiti started. So Okay, so wait. So you put them up on the second floor and people still ripped them down. Oh, no, they didn't. And we kind of wondered if they would, but our our porch was rotten at the time, and so we were totally terrified that they were going to climb up and fall through the rotten And then you're going to deal with, like, a lawsuit on top of that? Well, we were prepped for it, right? So Pascal and I were like, okay, so what are we going to do if this happens? And so we decided, you know, one person grabs the phone, calls 911, the other one rushes out, first aid, hey, 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 are you okay? Yeah. You know, and while we're here waiting for the ambulance, let's talk about your homophobia. Right? <laughs> This is not healthy. You're you're injuring yourself over this, That's right? Hilarious. But it didn't happen, right? So, okay. so thankfully, no one thankfully, yeah, thankfully, right. But someone did start spraying "Be Happy Not Gay" in front of our house. Huh. Yeah. And huh, then our tires were slashed. Wow. Yeah. And this happened. Oh, the end of the summer, a couple so summers ago now. This, like the time span between the first ripping down of the flag and the tire slash, what? That would have been about two years. Wow. Yeah, it was just oh. kind of constant. That's dedication. On... Yeah. Yeah. So our tires were slashed, and we had just received a letter from a neighbor 
who was basically saying their flag had been stolen too. They didn't want to live in a neighborhood that was supporting hate. Mm. We're going to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So we grabbed the letter that was literally hanging on the fridge and walked over to their place. And we were like, hi, nice to meet you. We're the one, other ones with the flags. Yeah. And we just had our tires slashed, so let's do something. Right. So we decided we were going to have a little barbecue gonna pull barbecues over to our front lawn which is like you know a postage stamp and, yeah and uh and the connected kind of yeah so it's a very communal yeah thing. yeah but we just you know we didn't want to we didn't want to feel angry which we were we were pissed of course right and we didn't want to be constantly looking at our front yard and thinking like who did this right right so we organized this barbecue but we also called the media again and this time they showed up in droves and we told them about the barbecue idea. And we told them we had more flags to give away. And then our friends from Newfoundland called us and said, we saw you on the CBC. When's the barbecue? <laughs> oh, man. National? Like, oh, we just invited Canada to a barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so we organized with the help of neighbors and friends. And we had a huge community barbecue across the street at the high school. Awesome. 350 people. It's a beautiful school. Yeah. And they were so on board. Yeah. One of the teachers showed up at the door and we're like, what can I do to help? Yeah. And we're like, we need space. And it's like, <laughs> okay, let's do this. Takes us over, introduces us to the principal. And the principal was fabulous. He's just like, okay, we're just going to make this work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what he did, but he figured it out. Because there's permits and there's yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's so like, many rules around it. He made yeah. it all happen, and it happened in two weeks. And over 350 people showed up. Awesome. They were all fed for free by donations. We raffled off a barbecue. We handed out flags. It was huge. The police were there, and not as protection, but as participants. Yeah, yeah. All three levels of government came out. Howard Hampton, I don't know That's if you remember good. him. He that was there. That is so good. It was huge. And, okay, so then what? So then we gave out all these flags and said to the neighborhood, you know, fly them one day, two days a week, however long, just let's just demonstrate that this is a neighborhood about inclusion. Mm -hmm. So after the barbecue, we drove around and the whole neighborhood was plastered in rainbow flags. It was incredible. Just absolutely Was there any backlash to that? Oh yeah, we've lost more tires. There's been more spray paint. Yeah. The hater... Now likes to strike Blue Rest Village. Hmm. We know that it's one person. We just refer to him as the hater. Right. And uh, that's so. Hor- I mean, I guess in a way it's good that it's one person, but it's so crazy how one person can do so much negative damage. And yet, he actually did a lot of really good. Of course, things. because he brought a whole community together, and he brought all these people out. Yeah, and the shops down on Blue Street now. So because. Of they they were being targeted and had heard about Peace Flag House, mm-hmm. so some of the shop owners connected with us and we got flags to them. And now Bloor West has got all these uh, rainbow flags in the window of all the shops that are like you know inclusion is for everyone and blah blah blah. So this person has spawned way to go, this, yeah. You know, <laughs> just elevated that issue, yeah, for yeah. this community. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So this is why it's called Peace Flag House. Right. And so now, okay, so it's been two years since that original happened, or how, how long have those flags been flying now? Uh, they have been up, it, they likely have been up for four years now, and the barbecue happened two summers ago. Mm-hmm. Right and, on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it has slowed down the amount of, um, 
targeted attacks, mm -hmm. which is good, but because uh, it losing tires gets t tiresome. Oh, <laughs> being punny, yeah. <laughs> no, I bet because I mean, it, it, there's no tire insurance, is there? No, you just you just <laughs> no go out and insurance. buy or buy more tires. You just buy more tires. Actually, when it first happened. Uh, the Glad Day Bookstore, which is a uh, queer bookstore in the village, they rallied around us and fundraised for our tires, which was awesome. That's really sweet. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah. We've had a, really, a, a lot of really cool people out of that yeah. whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And you putting up the flag, that was just you in support of... Yeah, we're allies. Yeah, you and Pride. And so that's the thing, too, that is really interesting, is that this kind of hate was even... like that hater, like, I don't even know if that matters to him, like, that, does that even matter that, like, you personally are not gay, or the person who lives in this home is not even gay, but it's just, like, I'm an ally who's flying this flag that's a symbol of other people yeah. who are gay, and that's even enough, like... Yeah, well, I think, really, this person is targeting the identity that's represented by the rainbow flag, right, right, right. And, I don't know if they're skulking around enough to know that Pascal and I are living mm -hmm. in a straight relationship. Like, there is some sort of hilarity about that. I think, yeah. That's the thing that, I guess, gets <laughs> me. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, But, I mean, one of the reasons why we fly the flag is because because we're in a straight relationship, we have a lot more safety. Right, of right? course, of so, course. So, like, we met a couple who lives nearby, and I won't define where, because they have children, and they're a lesbian couple, and... They're afraid for their children if they put up right. the flag, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Whereas if we don't have kids and we're in a straight relationship... Bring it on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we can take the brunt of that. Yeah. How do you... Like, your house is brick. Yeah. How do you get spray paint off your brick? You scrub it really <laughs> But this person targeted elbow grease. <laughs> the, uh, the sidewalk right in front of our place. So okay. writes out in white spray paint, be happy, not gay, right? right. Brilliant. How clever. So Pascal gets out his spray paint and changes mm. it to be happy and gay. Right. But our spray paint was better, so the first spray paint washed away over the winter and just a giant and, and. was left to <laughs> Well, there you go. That's like yeah. an open-ended yeah. invitation. Hilarious. Yeah. Anyways, the, the cops, I have to say 11 Division knows as well. Mm. They're just like, oh, hey, guys. <laughs> But they were really good. I was impressed when they first responded to the call. Mm -hmm. It was just Pascal here, and, you know, he has to explain the situation, and I wasn't here, and, you know, my partner's name is Sarah, and the officer, responding officer, didn't bat an eye. He wasn't like, but hey, you're not gay. Right. You know? He was just like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's... Because uh, you don't, like, you don't have to be gay to support that lifestyle, to support the whole movement, but it's... Yeah. yeah, people make yeah. that direct connection. Yeah, and it's so important being across from a high school. And actually, because we teach at Ryerson, we've had students come through our class who went to high school there. Right. And we have heard that there have been some teen suicides from queer bashing. Right. So it's super important that that's a really Yeah, and that's also a really good message of just taking in the world around you. I mean, sometimes people in the city are critiqued for not doing that. Everyone living in their own bubble, even though all, all of our bubbles are so close. <laughs> but uh, understanding that, yeah, you, you do really directly impact your surrounding and you taking that in being like, hmm, well, this is getting awfully political due to where we're located and what's happening and mm -hmm. 
I don't actually know if anyone's watching, but someone could be watching, and just in case we're going to stick by our morals on this one. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes those fights are hard, and sometimes you're like, not this time. Like, I can't can't fight this one this time, but... Yeah, you're right, and sometimes... I mean, we didn't do a second barbecue because it was so much work to pull <laughs> yeah. it together. Yeah, fair. But the flags will stay up. Right on. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are sitting in the Peace Flag House. Yeah. Understanding is coming towards me. Okay, so next, next, I'm pretty much just going through your intro and trying to understand, understand the, because it is, I think, I feel like there's so much breadth here. And like, you don't even have in here that you, you're teaching at Ryerson. Oh yeah, I teach at Ryerson. <laughs> Oh, did you forget? So what do you teach at Ryerson? I teach about uh, social justice issues, specifically a course on homelessness and housing. Cool. Mm-hmm. What kind of stuff do you talk about in your course? Oh, how long do we have? <laughs> we talk about a lot of things. So really, is it's about an unlearning process. So all the myths and stereotypes that people have around those who are experiencing homelessness it's about debunking okay all of that you're like your the stereotypes that you already have in your head about those people and like where that that program or that class is attached to a specific program in social science social it's in community services so it's through the chang school but it's cross-listed with I think it's something like 20 different disciplines. Okay, cool. It's It's accessible that way. Yeah. And how did you come by, like, the understanding and knowledge and interest to teach that kind of course? So, like you said earlier, breadth is kind of where I live. Right. (laughs) Uh, So my background is in women's studies and uh, environmental studies with a strong bent towards social justice work. Okay. Community development. And Pascal... Who, I should also mention, he this fall did a TED Talk on the Peace Flag House. Oh, cool. Yes. I'll have to look it up. And also makes amazing lattes. Yeah, he does. Yes, also that. <laughs> the Diverse TED skills. Talk is not out yet, which okay. is sad, but I'll send it to you when it is. Yeah, and hopefully I can link brilliant. it up with this episode and people can watch it too. Yes. He, he was so good. I was just like over the moon. That's awesome. In the background. Uh, anyways, yeah, so he... His background is actually in peace studies and social justice, a program that he started as an undergrad. I'm just going to like humble brag about my partner for Go a for it. Here. Go for it. So he was in his undergrad and decided like, nah, there's nothing really here. So I'm just going to make my own degree program. So social justice and peace studies is what he did. And cool. then environmental studies. And same kind of thing, just this kind of cross-pollination of social justice issues and housing and homelessness is an area where there's so much intersectionality going on Mm -hmm. because there's not just one avenue into that situation. There's multiple facets and then all of the kind of secular stuff that keeps you stuck there. Right. So, yeah, he started teaching seven years ago and he's a rock star teacher and so they needed more sections opened up and so I was like, I'll do it. (laughs) And so then I started six years ago and we teach this class. Well... We were teaching 12 a year, and now Isaac is joined us as well, which is another cool story, because he took the class, went and got his master's, and is now teaching the class. Right. Brilliant. Yeah, that is good. You always have, like, a uh, really depth understanding of what you're oh, what you're teaching now. Yeah, yeah. So, something like 500 students a year. Right on. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I live in St. Jamestown currently, uh-huh. and so I um, have been hearing, like, different... Uh, not a lot, but just like some updates from different um, people and groups that are doing work south of where I live, like south of Cabbage Town, 
um, not necessarily Regent Park because, there, but there is a bunch of like that whole like gentrification and stuff happening there. But then also south, even on like Sherborne and Queen mm-hmm. or Parliament mm-hmm. around that area. Mm-hmm. So, do you know anything about that specifically? Uh, no, I don't or even know. just like the uh, housing and homeless situation in Toronto. Oh yeah, <laughs> what do you want to know? That area is an area that's known for high rates of homelessness. Right. So I think first thing is um, language use. One of the things we encourage our students, and I think this is key, especially in Toronto when we are dealing with lots of folks who are experiencing homelessness, is to identify that it's like an experience, not a person. Right. So we try to encourage people to say people experiencing homelessness or a person who has experienced homelessness. Right. Because this is a part of their life. Not, not just like homeless identity. people, yeah. Yeah, or my favorite is the homeless. Like it's some huge generic <laughs> yeah. group. That you makes know? sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going on in that particular neighborhood? I'd, I'd need to know what, what group specifically. But, I mean, there is loads of work going on all over the city, particularly in that area, just kind of east of Ryerson, really, yeah. right? There's a lot of community housing there. There's a yeah, lot Yeah, there's some services. women's shelters. There's so many shelters. Yeah, there's also a couple different um, Aboriginal shelters there as well. And like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I walk the, by them, like, almost every day, and and I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel I live right in that area, and mm-hmm. I mean, I live in a building in an apartment building with other people who have apartments and but I live and I I share this common space with people who maybe don't have a place to go or people who are like sharing spaces in these shelters and I just feel so close to them geographically like we're so close Mm -hmm. but then there's this that just like misunderstanding on my part for sure of like what they're going through and like what 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 do they even need like where do you socks yeah, yeah, you know, that is in, good... in like hardcore, just actually, literal terms. Socks. 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 I actually folks are on the street. found oh, yeah. Bombas, which is like a, a, I don't even know if they're Canadian, but it was a company that I discovered and I got those socks for Christmas because I was like, if you're going to buy me socks, I want these socks because they were like someone, a company who was donating for every sock you bought, they were like donating a pair to the homeless. Nice. So like, yeah, finding those initiatives is good, but yeah, and there's I need to find more. There. Yeah. Uh, and it really depends on kind of where do you want to wade into the river? Like, what what area do you want to be a part of? Because it's vast. Right? And that's the thing, even understanding, like, what are your options? Like, like as, because um, there's a couple different shelters, and I've looked into, like, their volunteering programs. And so you can go in and you can volunteer, like, weekly. And they need help with, like, kitchen service and, like, other mm-hmm. kinds of duties. But then again, is that the kind of work that they need, that you as a person want to contribute or needs to be done? Needs to be done, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're overworked, underfunded, understaffed, and uh, I mean, our our last round of politicians were notorious for saying things like the shelters aren't full, which is I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. Yeah, go for but it. But the biggest load of fucking bullshit, just complete lie. Yeah, they're full to brimming. People are falling out at the seams, kind of thing. What do we really need? Affordable housing. Yeah, for sure. Can you personally build that? <laughs> Likely not. <laughs> give me give me a couple of So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, where do you want to wade in? There's lots of different areas to get involved. You can do sandwich runs. You know, if you're a part of a religious organization, you can do that. You can volunteer in a community kitchen. This spring, Preskel and I are part of St. Clair's Multi-Faith Housing 
and they do build affordable supportive housing cool so we do a bike ride fundraiser around the city to raise money to literally get uh housing right right and Oh, Pascal's better with numbers, but I mean, to actually house someone for the a lifetime and get them off the streets is just so little when it comes to resources. It's actually not that much money. So, you know, one bike ride, we can raise enough money to put someone in housing for the rest of their life. Right. So if you want to do that, yeah, that sounds good. I, I think we should, yeah, we should like create a list. I should pull a list from you afterwards and even like linking it to this episode as well because mm-hmm. giving, that's what I think is important about these conversations too is trying to like engage people in it and give them at least the resources to go see even mm-hmm. if, you know, taking that extra step to delve into that world is a little scary. But mm-hmm. acknowledging that it's there too because like that's what almost makes me like crazy is walking around knowing, okay, there are issues here. There are obvious issues but like I don't understand the depth of them. I don't, I don't understand if I wanted to help, how would I do that? Mm-hmm. How would I even respect what's going on? Yeah. That kind of stuff. So it's pretty important. Well, I mean, there's lots of programs to get involved with, like I said. And the Bike Ride Gear Up for Housing is what it's called. And it's loads of fun. But there's also just, like, when you're out on the street and someone asks you for change, it's entirely up to you whether or not you give it to them. Um, but the one thing you can do, do is acknowledge that they've asked, right? And mm-hmm. this is something that I think is huge, is people start to feel invisible, once they've been on the street for a long time, because everyone who's housed just pretends like they're street furniture. Yeah. And yeah, that can have a major impact on your well-being and mental health, right? Absolutely. So just acknowledge that someone's there. Yeah. And, you know, and if you give, and this is something that always comes up in class, well, what if that person spends it on drugs? Yeah, well, what if they do? Do you not go and get a bottle of wine on Friday night? Like, yeah, it's their decision. You can choose whether or not you're going to give them money. And they can choose how to spend it. Exactly. Right. Yeah, because your grandmother doesn't tell you how to spend the birthday money. So It's chill. fair, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> chill. <laughs> Everyone can do what they want. Yeah. We're all adults. Okay. Okay, cool. I like that. I see. I didn't even know that was okay. Good, you teach at Ryerson. Yeah, I do, and I can <laughs> add it on to the I bio. I go on and on, but I mean, it is an entire semester class, and you know, if anyone from the community can take the class, mm. so you don't have to be a university student. Come in and audit. You can. You can come. I audited anytime. a course from Ryerson this fall, so I mean, continuing yeah. education is very important. Yes. I'd like to be a student for life. Yes. I'm going to do that. You are welcome. I will let you know when our next round goes. Beautiful. And then you're, we're still knitting here. We're still knitting. Okay, so explain to me how the, the subway knits works. So in theory, it's knitting on the subway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're knitting ha- exclusively hats? At the moment, exclusively okay. hats. So I guess, how do I explain subway knits? I am... Um, a knitter and a spinner and a weaver, although admittedly a not very good weaver, but a really good knitter and okay. a pretty good spinner. <laughs> yeah, so is this, this is a spinning wheel yes, that we see here. Yeah, here. and there's room. two more behind you right. in the other room. I know, that was gorgeous. Yeah, so I Beautiful. have a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing for spinning wheels. I do. I love spinning wheels. Um, yeah, so I got involved in... Uh, knitting and spinning a while ago and have just increasingly fallen down the rabbit hole and then got really into local fibers. I mean, of course, right, from a social justice perspective, local fibers are more generally more environmentally sustainable and they're good for the local economy and mm-hmm. all of these positive offs, 
springing things right. that come from local fibers. And so I've collected quite a mass of fibers, which I'll show you in my studio upstairs. And I realized at Christmas time, as I'm knitting and marking papers, like i got to move through some of this stuff, right? Jeez. Like, <laughs> so uh, I decided I was going to whip up a few hats and just post them on Instagram and let people know, like, if you want one, if you like it, let me know. Uh, and first I was charging 20 bucks. $10 went to the Lenny Project, which is another great project in the city that you might want to connect with. Yeah. And um, the Lenny Project in the wintertime does upcycled warm winter wear for people experiencing homelessness. So that was a logical fit. And then in the summertime, uh, Natalie Rose does other kind of community-based projects as well. So lots of upcycling work and right. handcrafting, which I loved. Craftivism, right? Craftivism. Craft activism. Love it. Love it. So I decided 10 bucks for every hat would go to Natalie Rose at the Lenny Project because she gets lots of volunteer support, which is great, but any organization like that needs a little cash in hand, right? Just for stuff. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, and then I decided the other $10 would go to buying more local fiber, so it would get right back into the fiber shed, which I'll tell you about. Mm -hmm. And they Another went like question. hotcakes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, investor, <laughs> investor. Yeah. So after Christmas, I decided that I was going to put them up to $30 to stem the tide <laughs> a little bit. Right. Same breakdown, 10 bucks to Lenny Project, 10 bucks to Fibers. And then I thought, okay, 10 bucks for my knitting and spinning, because most of these are hand spun and hand knit, which right. is time intensive. Yeah, of course. But that has not slowed down the tide at all. So that doesn't surprise me, to be honest. I've got this order in my head right now. Every day I'm like, okay, i got eight more to go. And I'm like, it's March. It's going to be spring. Yeah. But people are actually now saying, I'll take five, and you know, there'll be Christmas presents for next year. For sure. Yeah. So people people it's get awesome. ahead of it. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if like it's local and all of this, like also using local fibers, it's spun, like... People will pay for that, and people yeah. want to. They want to like support, yeah, and they want yeah. to get involved that way. You're exactly right, and like I can tell you um, which farms that everything came from. Sometimes I can tell you the animal, right? And um, you know, it really. A few years ago, I really liked to write, and so I started a little blog called Peace Flag House, naturally. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Where I wrote down the story of Peace Flag House. Right. And I was writing about the renovations and just kind of random stuff they were doing around the house and mostly just like, what are you thinking about my kind of crafting of life? Mm -hmm. Bonds are good for that. Yeah. And then it just got more and more focused on fibers. And now it's like I travel around and interview farmers and millers and artisans and write about them and take photos and now you can go and find them through my blog. That's and, awesome. But in doing that, I collected this this pile of local fibers because I would buy something from everyone I visited. Right. So now all of these hats come from that stash. That's gorgeous. And they're all kind of then, I mean, not that you need more sales pitchiness, but it's like they're like kind of one of a kind or in oh, yeah. a way because you're getting it from this farmer and it's this animal and yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So that led me into uh, the Upper Canada Fiber Shed, which is a whole other world. But I'll let you decide which question. Well, I d- I, yeah, I just need to like, I just need to digest. Okay, so wait, let's finish with the subway. Knits. The subway knit. So it's supposed to happen on the subway. You're supposed to ha- knit on the subway. Well, I I knit on the subway all the time. Right. Right. And uh, so I would end up knitting all these hats and mitts and scarves and like I only have one head. Yeah. So I decided that I would call it subway knits and I would just knit while I'm on the subway and then people could uh, decide if they want to buy the latest one. Right. And so the theory was that I post the latest one up on Instagram and you could claim it. Well, right. that worked for about 20 seconds and then <laughs> people just started saying, I'll take five, I'll take three, I want two in this color. And so now it's just like... Okay, so I knit whenever I'm sitting down. <laughs> right. But also on the subway. Yeah. A lot. yeah. Do you do a lot of commuting? Well, I mean, yes, to Ryerson and to back Ryerson, a lot. yeah. Right. And for other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To so get around Toronto in general. I have to have a big purse because i got to fit my knitting in it. Yeah, right on. Okay, cool. So it's more of a concept of like, you. yeah, it's just like a way of titling it that gives it a time and place where you're like, I'm fitting this work into my, <laughs> into my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a process of making tons of cash, clearly. No. But it is a great way to highlight local producers, and I get to make stuff, which I love, and people get to wear stuff that is handmade, which feels good. Absolutely. And, um... I'm definitely... I'm really sorry, but you're probably going to have more orders after this, so... That's awesome. <laughs> that is cool. I'm cool with that. I'm actually starting to think about... So, springtime subway knits? Hmm. <laughs> Fingerless gloves. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I guess just pre-orders for next Christmas. Yeah, and that too. That'll be a big yeah, thing. Yeah. I debated breaking out, like, should I do socks and stuff? But hats are just really good. You don't need to know a particular size. Yeah, that's true. People, and people just love it. Yeah. Love hats. Okay, so what is then, what is Fiber Shed? Fiber Shed. Okay, pardon me while I shift some stitches onto my other needle. <laughs> that was me just being that's okay. Like, I'm bobbing off my needles. I don't even. I've knitted with the circular because you're knitting a hat, so you have four needles. I've knitted with the circular needle before, which I think is easier. Yeah. <laughs> or just a cheat way of doing it. No, it's just the same process. Uh, but um, my circular ne- needles on this size are all wrapped up in a sweater design I'm working on right now. There you go. So. Four needles it is. Four needles it is. <laughs> okay, so fiber shed. So fiber shed, think of like watershed, right? So you have a particular geographic area that is fed by a particular bit of water. Uh, same kind of thing with fiber. Or you could think of food, you know, local food movement. So you want to be sourcing all of your food within a particular radius so you're not transporting things too far. Same thing with fiber. Right. So a lot of our clothing, actually the vast majority of our clothing now has been offshored, which means it's all being made in Bangladesh, China, Vietnam, Mm -hmm. and the fibers that make that clothing is equally international, being shipped all over the place. Right. And the result of that has been a lot of the um, domestic manufacturing gone. Right. Domestic milling gone. And local fiber producers also... In large part, and the large ones are gone. Right, so that whole industry on like a local basis is kind of just vanishing. Yeah, uh, which I mean, in and of itself is problematic, but that it gets um, 
what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, compounded mm-hmm. when you look at how things are being offshored to countries where there is massive human rights violations. Of course, of right? course, yeah. Poverty. And different laws around production, the production of those materials and all that kind of stuff. Too. Yeah. I remember, this is throwing it way back, but I watched a documentary on even the production of clothes, but it wasn't super detailed. But I remember the thing they talked about specifically was the dyeing oh, because yeah. of how that affected water. And so those even those regulations in different countries about that kind of stuff was a big deal. Oh, yeah. There are stories about how the Pearl Delta in China will change color according to what dye is in fashion for that year in the Western world. Wow. Yeah, just consider that for a second. Your world world changes color according to what North Americans want to wear. You see... I knew I didn't like, like, you know. (laughs) I knew I didn't like No, I just, like, I have arguments with some friends. Okay, so I... I enjoy style, but I don't enjoy what's in style. And uh-huh. I that's, and I just, like, I totally segregate them. So, like, what's in style or what's currently fashionable with, like, spring of 2016, I don't think is what style is that's for fashion. individuals. Right. And so, I yeah, I just... Fashion is what's put out in the collection. Style is what you do with it. Okay. There you go. I don't think I've thought of that myself. I think I might have ripped that off somewhere, but I can't remember who. <laughs> it's, I think it's a pretty basic, like, like um, tearing apart of, like, the commercialism and then your individuality. But mm-hmm. some people don't segregate the two. They're just like, this is style. Like, what I'm told to wear is, like, this is fashionable. It's, it's style, and mm-hmm. I will be stylish. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. Go be generic, why don't you? Anyway, so so you're finding there's fiber <laughs> shed. Generic, well, yeah. uh, but I hear what you're saying, and I, I yeah, I agree. There's this weird, mm, it's a weird, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Hive mind that goes on there. Because mm-hmm. it's true, you'll go into every store and I'll be like, oh, it's oh, aqua. Yeah. And then like, I guess their lake is blue, which is good. But then you go in next season and then it's like mauve and it's like, it's just like it makes not that I'm a big shopper, but it makes shopping tedious anyway because every store is the same. The same, yeah. I don't understand a lot about it. Yeah, and especially since now we're in, entirely globalized, so most of the stores you're shopping at are using the same factories. They're using the same everything, and they're knocking off the actual designers. Of course, which is another thing. So, like when you watch like fashion shows, runway, those type of projects. Which, like, we're going to talk about this, but in my, like, non-fashionista mind is more connected to art, like, when you do high design, high fashion. Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, a super, super watered-down version that actually gets to the mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, like... In some ways, that's necessary. Because do you want to wear, like, combras? No, no. (laughs) Not on a daily basis. (laughs) Absolutely, right? But it's... That's interesting to me, because then... Yeah, it's just like what there's like a huge difference between those two worlds, yet they try to be the same. The history of couture is that it was handmade mm. and like artisanal work, super high quality. And by high quality, I mean like someone hand stitched this. Right. So it costs a lot of money because someone sat there and hand sewed this together. Yeah. So in some ways, I get like, yeah, this is super expensive because there is a person behind this, right? And they, they made this for Physically you. made it Physically. and then also had the artistic creative vision as well. Yeah. And so like in some ways I love fashion, but I don't I don't buy into the like run out there and do have you heard of hauls? 
Mm, H A U L S. Okay, no, I was like like the cough drop candy. Yeah, I know that's why I spell it because it's like the what. So you do this sometime. Go for a shopping haul. H A U L. Oh. And these are people who go out to Forever Twenty One and H and M and buy literally bags. Yeah. When when you say it that way, I can I can picture it. And then they open their bags and they show the camera and it's posted on YouTube and it's literally just watching someone else show you what they bought that day, which I find bizarre to begin with, but. Mm. Also, like, they're like, oh, you know, this is kind of cute, but it was only $2, and I'm not sure I like yellow, but I bought it anyways, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, okay, let's just deconstruct all of this right now. <laughs> so, I mean, I agree, there's a huge disconnect between what people are living in terms of fashion and what fashion is in terms of art and quality. Mm. I hate craftsmanship, craft personship. Right. Um, so Fibershed kind of is the little wedge that's kind of trying to elbow its way into the middle of that conversation and um, bringing up a lot of ideas around, you know, why is it that high quality has to be only for the excessively rich. Right. You know? Is there another way that we could, okay, so you don't have to hand sew every sequin onto your dress, but totally. could we have quality for everyone as well? Is it really uh, democratic? And this is one of the arguments that gets brought up a lot, like, well, you can buy all of these things because you have free choice and it's democracy. Is it, mm-hmm. <laughs> is this really a freedom issue when you can buy lots of things or is this just hiding the fact that there's income inequality growing at a huge rate right and that if you need to be buying your clothes at two dollars a pop we got a big problem yeah and I feel like that is also um represented in the food industry as well when you look at like wholesome homemade like buying raw local organic yada 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 like food versus pre-made packaged food that, yeah, yeah, exactly. And weighing those benefits. There's a lot of similarities there. Right. And it's not to say that someone who's struggling with poverty needs to spend all their money on a really expensive shirt. Right. But the disconnect between the two is demonstrating we have issues that we need to deal with at a social level. Right. So Fiber Shed is about, like the food movement, reconnecting, saying, okay, so... Instead of buying lots of really crappy stuff, can we buy one really good thing? Can mm-hmm. we work with producers? Can we work with uh, designers? Can we work with artisans here and create something that's not haute couture? We're not going to that extreme, but something more reasonable, you know, that's really contributing to people's lives at every stage of the game, as right. opposed to depending on a underpaid Bangladeshi woman who will likely die in a fiery crash in her factory yeah. making you the $2 t-shirt. Yeah, that $2 yellow piece of crap thing that you're not really sure you like, but it was only $2, so it's great. Yes, exactly. Yay! Okay, Yay. so... That's fiber shed. <laughs> okay, so in terms... So you've gone around and you've talked to these farmers. They're producing fiber. They're producing local fiber. I'm assuming, I would assume that that wouldn't be their sole income, is it? Some. Some, Some, yes. That's cool. Like, I think that's cool that they can 
then produce their entire income off it. I just assumed that might be hard. Their entire small income. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fair, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, no, nobody's uh, getting base rate rich on this. Of course. Uh, some people do a variety of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. farms are super diverse, so you can do a lot yeah. of different stuff. So uh, one so of my they... favorite farms yeah, go ahead. has fiber, uh, so Gotland sheep and Finn sheep. And also meat, so you can buy free-range lamb from them, which is delicious. Canadian lamb is hard to come by. Yeah, Yeah. and vegetables in the growing season. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Right. Okay, so then I was going to say, these. then if they are creating, like, Canadian local fiber... They are there still some of these um, places that are processing processing it available still. There are micro mills, okay, so or mini mills, another way of saying it. So these are usually another kind of small business person. Often they have their own fiber flock as well, and they are processing. So there's a number, I wouldn't say a lot, but there's a number around Ontario that right. uh, can do processing, and the mini mills are restricted in particular ways in terms of lock length and um, micron count, that kind of thing. The kind of, I know. Are some boards somewhere? No, it's more about, does the machinery fit? Uh, I wish I had some fleece to show you. So every fleece is different, so different breeds of sheep or alpaca um, have a different length of fleece, different, um, the micron count refers to how soft or how... um, course it is mm-hmm. so there's different variables at play right it depends on can the machinery is the machinery suited to dealing with that so okay. the answer is yes there are these things around we don't have the same infrastructure that there was at one point in time right uh, but this i think is changing because there's a lot more awareness and there's more investment and when you start to also connect with the u.s then you, of course i mean they have so many more people you start to get a, a bigger availability. Right. Yeah. So right now the technology limits them on what they can do with it. It Yeah. So, I mean, to a non-fiber producer, it's a little bit like, hey, can't this work? But different fibers need different types of machines. Right. right? That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And then from these mini mills, the fiber goes to the individuals who are creating things with it. Potentially. So, uh, a really good example is Peggy Sue Designs, or Peggy Sue Collections. She's in Toronto here. Nice. And she's a member of the Upper Canada Fiber Shed, which I'm a member of as well. Um, So, Peggy Sue is a designer, and she does clothing that is entirely Mm local-based. With, and as I say that, I'm thinking, wait, uh, with the exception that she gets got certified cotton, which is an organic fair trade cotton. That cotton can't be grown in Canada. It's right. Cold. Yeah. Uh, so she works with um, Uta Zell, who has Realton Fiber Mills, and she has all the fiber she's bought from local producers milled there. And then it goes to a weaver in the city here named Deborah Livingston Lowe. I had to think about that. <laughs> uh, and so then Deborah weaves the fabric, and then uh, Peggy Sue can do her fashion line from it. Right. Cool, eh? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see the life of it, like how it gets from the raw form into potentially the hands of the consumer or of the, yeah. the person who's going to end up wearing the clothing. Yeah, yeah. And this is growing. There are more and more people interested in developing this, which is cool. And there's a big, strong designer, Canadian designer world, mm-hmm. in Toronto in particular, in Montreal. Right. 
So I see this expanding, which is exciting. That is good. Okay, so some stereotypes that I've come across when I've talked to other people about just like anything natural is that it's um, that it is kind of like ugly. it's gotten a certain aesthetic. <laughs> I wouldn't well, I wouldn't describe it as ugly. I mean, depending, some things are you know, but yeah. So, but um, like neutral in color because you're you know not tampering too much with it maybe. Or um, there's limitations of what you can do, like, fashion-wise or, like, the different types of texture you can produce or any of that kind of stuff. So are those just misconceptions? Uh, I mean, there's some truth in that, in that, yes, there's lots of things that are made that are not for everyone Mm -hmm. and perhaps wouldn't be described as fashionable. Mm -hmm. We're kind of trying to be gentle with this. (laughs) Yeah. But... Uh, does it have to be that way? No, not at all. I mean, I think that idea of homespun as being kind of granola-y right. has been around for a really, really long time. And that's the thing. It's like, is what is being currently produced produced for the movement of people that are supporting it? Then, like, that makes sense. And then as soon as, like, if this, if the fiber shed can um, connect with more of a mainstream type of audience, then... Th- you know, there's a potential that the clothing, the product could be changed for them if, like, in terms of aesthetic. Yeah. But the foundation doesn't have to change. Yeah, exactly. That's just scaling up. Right. And and when you look at fibers, every fiber has its particular kind of, like, sweet spot, right? So a really um, coarse fiber isn't something that you want to turn into luxury underwear. Like, just not good, right? Fair, yeah. And when you say to someone, like, wool underwear... They're like, oh, oh my goodness, you know, like my butt will be scratchy forever. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, if you use uh, something really, really low micron count, really soft, no, it'll be wonderful. Mm-hmm. And this actually exists, like cashmere underwear. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it, yeah. And because it wool will keep you cool when you're hot and hot when you're cool. And it's uh, really great for staying warm while damp and all these fabulous things, right? Yeah. And then there's alpaca and there's so many options. So it's yeah. really about maximizing the best fiber for the job and making that fiber work for its sweet spot. Not trying to make it into something it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think scaling up gives you the opportunity to do that more. Right. Because you're not stuck in a little niche. And that niche isn't just, uh, you know, people wanting to wear Birkenstocks every day, but the niche of the the materials you've got access to, the processing you have access to, the designers you have access to. Right. The more you expand, the more you expand. Yeah, of course. And then backtracking a little bit to the comparison to food, I because when I'm this almost is hinting into like that mainstream, like this like um, the perception of what you look like and how people see you and uh, if you have self confidence or your level or whatever or what gives you self confidence if what you wear gives you self confidence, and um, in like comparing it to food, like it like this is almost harder in a way because people can have food habits that are either a secret or not a secret or something they do alone or not do alone, but they can do it alone and they can do it privately and they can eat whatever they want and without judgment. But when you walk around with something on you and if you experience that judgment or if you even are perceiving that you're experiencing that judgment, then that's a thing that is going to impact you every day. So it's like you're fighting that like psyche of people. Yeah, that's a really good point about how people can have their food habits that they hide. 
I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Like Doritos, that would be one. (laughs) You know, like you could go out and buy organic yada yada and you can say that you do. And like, that's totally fine. Or you can not. Yeah. And no one will ever approach you about it because like when they see you, you're at work and they don't see you eating whatever you eat. But when they see you at work, they always see what you wear. So it's it's something you can't hide. Your clothing is your second skin. Mm -hmm. And it is the piece that you display to the world. And I, in one ways, I love it for that because you get to express yourself on a daily basis. And, you know, as an artist, I'm all about that, which is always amusing because I wear black all the time, but (laughs) I'm not going to think about what that's expressing. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it, you know, there's, there's something really um, visceral and almost childlike in how we dress ourselves because we... We want to evoke a particular reaction from the world around us, and we want to share with the world who we are and how we see ourselves and how we feel by how we dress ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of human creativity. And I I think it's wonderful. Uh, The tricky bit is when you start having... um, a lot of the world telling you that you have to look this one particular way and there's no other versions of this and that right. one must dress like X, Y, and Z. Yeah, in style, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> in style or you need to always wear a suit or, yeah. you know, there's lots of different versions of what those restrictions can look like. Right. right? Or maybe it's... Attached to a certain job. Yeah. Yeah. Or you need to... You feel like because you're a 45-year-old woman, you shouldn't wear this because you're too old or you need to look like this. You know, like there's a lot of rules, spoken and unspoken, about how we can present ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, You get that from people too, like, oh, they've really grown up just because they cut their hair or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways... It's a way to express yourself, and I think as soon as you give yourself permission to do that, you'll feel really, really good. Mm -hmm. And what more fun than being like, all right, I'm going to express myself this way today. And if you can do it in such a way that you're not actually, you know, participating in the death of another environment or... That would be good. Child slavery or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That would be really yeah, just as a little tangent, I definitely experienced that in like reflection that um, sometimes I know I'll be going to a certain space with a certain group of people who see me in this light because like that's the activity we do together, and it's like that can almost that can factor into it too. Like you yeah. know, like I see these work people and they see me in this attire when I do this activity, but I don't want to wear that today. I want to wear this, and it's like the, I'm probably going to receive comments just because it's it's different for them how they see you uh-huh. but for you it might not be that different it's just like yeah i wear it on different days clothing's about um recognition of yourself and also within a group too mm-hmm. and it's a way of identifying one another right and humans are just notoriously clannish yeah 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 for sure which we is, all have labels you have a yeah, label for everything yeah good and bad all at the same time yeah, yeah. okay so i have another question because mm-hmm. i i do this so I'm going to ask your thoughts on it. So your opinion versus buying uh, like new local designer, local fiber shed versus buying used crap, like used whatever. All right. That is a super awesome, fabulous question that I grapple with almost on a weekly basis. So um, 
being a sessional at Ryerson means that my income level is not high. <laughs> if you know anything about contract faculty. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I would love to buy only local designers if I could, and it's just not feasible. So uh, I will, but it'll be one thing, and it'll be something that I know I will wear for 10 years, mm -hmm. which is one of the best things about buying from your fiber set is the quality tends to be really high. Yeah. And um, I tend to be a pretty straightforward kind of minimalist dresser anyways, so I'm happy to have white shirt for 10 years. I'm, like, I'm cool with that. Yeah. And that's not for everyone. Right. But for me, it's awesome. good. Awesome. Mm -hmm. The majority of my clothing is used clothing. Right. By and large. And uh, I used to buy a little bit of new stuff, and then I watched the film True Cost. True Cost. Yeah, and uh, that was the end of buying any fast fashion whatsoever. Fast fashion, I like that too. Oh, that's a, a huge term. So True Cost is all about fast fashion. And it's a great film, totally worth watching. And you watch that and you're like, okay, goodbye Forever 21. <laughs> it's not me, it's you. Yeah. And so I literally saw a screening of that at Ryerson and at the end of that was just like, and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now everything is used and I've educated myself around, so what's a good quality indicator, you know? So I know my fabrics, I know my finishes. So when you're going to buy used, you know what you're looking for? Yeah. Okay. I know what can be repaired. Right. What can't be. You know, I know, is this going to be easy to adjust it to fit me properly, or is this going to be complicated and not worth my time? It'll fit someone else beautifully. Mm -hmm. uh, I do shop for labels, but labels that I know are really high quality mm -hmm. and still maintain their quality and don't just have mm -hmm. a flashy label. Right. So, for example... This Christmas, uh, Pascal and I were down in New York, <laughs> and I uh, just had to have a pause there to remember. The flashback to New York. It was great. Fashion Central. Yes. And um, so outside of New York, up the Hudson, is the one of the uh, studios and shops for Eileen Fisher, who is a designer, I really like, an American designer, who started off in the 80s. And over time has realized, like, okay, so my production has a big impact on the world. So she works with local alpaca producers in South America. She works with, uh, uh, what's the, it's a, a label blue sign, blueprint, blue sign, which is basically a standardization organization that checks to make sure that dye, the dyes are safe, that the right. chemicals are safe chemical-free processes for making the fabric or safe, that kind of thing. So she creates these pieces that are lovely, minimalist, simple, so straight up my alley, lots of natural fibers, and so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to her <laughs> shop, kicker. but she takes back all of her clothes, so you can return them to her, and she will send them out to be recycled if possible, but also resale the things that are in good shape. And because cool. it's such high quality, it's in good shape for a very long time. Yeah. So I bought two used pieces from my one of my favorite designers, uh, Green Eileen, also Eileen Fisher, her green line. And right. I, was, I was thrilled because I got a nice designer piece. It was already being recycled by her. It's top quality, great materials. I know that no one died in the process of making this. You know, no rivers went blue. Mm -hmm. Everything's good. That's awesome. Yeah. 
And so those two sweaters will be cherished and loved and taken great care of. I hand wash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess you have to, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Not everything, but I've learned how to care for fabrics right. and make sure that they're, they're going to last. They're good, yeah. yeah. So shopping used uh, in Toronto? Oh, goodbye, Goodwill. Oh. So uh, I do the VV thing. Yeah. And that's a lot of pouring through racks. Yeah, because here you got, like, I don't know, in my uh, current experience, you got, like, yeah, like the Valley Village experience, and then you have kind of the reused, um, like, more, like, antique, vintage-type mm-hmm. sale uh, shops. And then you also have some, like, some Valley Village that do, like, some kind of cl- clothing swap things. I haven't been to a lot of those, but I've just heard a little bit about them. Uh, so... Uh, there's the clothing swap idea, which I would love to organize one, uh, maybe in the spring. Is that my dog barking? <laughs> that was definitely a dog. Weird. Where's Relish? Oh, that's Molly. My parents' dog. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I haven't met Molly yet. <laughs> uh, so you could do a clothing swap where you bring in five pieces of gently used clothing and you get to take five pieces in return, which can be really cool. You can do like a friend open my closet day, which is lots of fun as well. Uh, So there's lots of ways of getting creative around clothing swaps and they happen all over the city Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, And it's a great way when you're bored and sick of all of the things that you have and they're still in great shape to revamp it up. Just swap it up. Yeah. Um, I also like to go to places that are a little bit more curated. So you pay a little bit more money, but you tend to get more of the high quality stuff and you don't have to sift through the bins kind mm-hmm. of thing. So in this neighborhood, there's a little shop called Repeat Boutique, which is good for that. Nice. Yeah. And of course, you can go super high end too and you can. Yeah, that's get like that vintage bag, stuff. Yeah. You know, an Oscar de la Renta dress and it's used, but it's still $500. Yeah. That's still a little out of my yeah. range. But, yeah, you can. there's the whole gambit. And you can also rent. You can rent. You can rent. So if you need a dress for a wedding, you can rent a frock. And that's the name of the site, Rent-A-Frock. Rent-A-Frock. Yes. So you say you want this style and these sizes, and they send them to you, and you try them on, and you keep the one that fits, and you send the other ones back, and you rent it, and then you return it. Huh. Mail. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There's lots of this kind of stuff popping up, especially in the UK, in Europe, like renting jeans. Wear them for six months, get sick of them, send them back. They recycle them or send them out to someone else. That's crazy. That's cool. So there's like, there's less of this need to run out and buy like, oh, I need a dress for this thing. I'll run out and spend $30 on a dress. And then it's like this crap material from a fast fashion type store. Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. I remember the last time I was in a fast fashion store. It's like once upon a time. I was actually on a bus today with a friend and we were talking about how malls just piss us off and sometimes we go in for, you know, I need this. I've been, I've, I've needed it for two months and like I'm just going to go get it. I'll go in and I'll come out with nothing. And I just, I can't have a hard time just being in that atmosphere because I just find it's very like toxic almost. Yeah, well literally and figuratively. Of course. Because their clothes are off gassing. Yeah. Which is toxic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like walk around the stores and just like, I don't, I I don't know what to do. Um, shoes are tough. So what is that a local? Can that be? I mean, I guess that anything can be made of local fibers, but do we have that kind of resource here? Are the yeah. people doing it? So 
The local shoe that I found is called the Canadian. And they do boots mostly, and I have not yet been able to afford a pair. Mm. They're lovely, and they, they're they very nice, and they are made ethically, and because leather tanning is a very destructive process environmentally. But they're pricey. Yeah. I, actually, in the realm of pricey, they're not out of this world. They're priced right. I just can't personally afford them. Of course. So far. Yeah. Uh, so shoes are tough. Mm-hmm. I buy used shoes, and I know some people freak out about this, and I'm like, what's a little, you know, vinegar is going to kill any problems that you might foresee inside that shoe? Yeah. Like, this is handleable. Right. Um, I like them because they help, they stretch it out for me. My foot is hella wide, and <laughs> when somebody else wears a shoe, my foot actually goes inside the shoe. It's really nice. <laughs> I go to buy new shoes, and I'm like, it's just not happening. Uh, it's okay, awesome. though. But yeah, the whole sneaker game is like such a big thing, right? And then if you go to a gym or if you work, you do anything, it's like, I definitely have a bunch of friends who are just like up on Adidas and like that's what they wear. You have the whole Nike movement. You have like the running room now that has just everything mm-hmm. surrounded that. It's a... I have yet to find a proper runner mm-hmm. that is local or ethically sourced. Right. And I think for shoes, I'd be happy with just ethical. Right. Because you're not likely going to check all the boxes on that one. Right. It's, yeah, it's So, for runners, I'll keep you posted. Cool. I do know of a great company called Oliberté. They work in, the guy is Canadian who started it, and it is in, I think it's Ethiopia. I'm like 95% sure it's Ethiopia. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, I saw him speak the fall at a, a, a fashion uh, conference and he was fabulous he talked about how he started with the idea that okay we're going to create a shoe in this setting in 95% sure Ethiopia (laughs) and make sure that people are getting paid a living wage and that this ethical treatment that it's local expertise running the show and everything right and so his perspective is start with one thing and build from there so they're building towards more environmental sustainability and I, I can appreciate that. Like, you can't hit all targets at once, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, kind of go from there. So, his shoes, um, I would buy in a heartbeat without a second thought because they're getting better in terms of looks. <laughs> and I know that someone is actually living a better life because of making these. Right. Yeah, that's and, good. Yeah. He was um, he was a good find. That's for good. Sure. A liberté. A liberté. Yes. I also... Um, like a pretend French word, which is what he called it. So right. Actually <laughs> I remember in high school I found a, a brand called Simple Shoes, and they... I remember those. Yeah. Is, are they still cooking? Like a, I bought sure. a I bought a pair back in the day, and I remember, like, the, the soles of them were used car tire, and they... I, I was really young, and I don't think I... I definitely didn't do all the background checks for what kind of stuff they were doing, but... There were definitely some environmental things that they were trying to take into consideration. I just thought they were pretty neat, too. Yeah. But that was something that came to mind. And then also in terms of, like, Canada. Okay, so you have, uh, like, you have Canadian footwear. So you have that kind of stuff that's happening. And I was, um, as a gift, someone purchased some Manitoba mucklucks for me. Oh, yeah. And so that's a thing that, like, Canada does, right? And even, but even that company... 
They outsource. They outsource. And they, they're really honest about it. You get like a certificate of authentication when you get your mukluks or your moccasins from them, but they still totally explain how there's a portion of the process that's outsourced. Yeah. So there's that. My friend also was working at this super small store. It was like a convenience store, but they sold these fur boots and they were made, the fur was caught and apparently, she said that the process happened in Quebec. I'm also not sure about all those all those fact checks, but that the fur was definitely trapped in Quebec, and they had beaver and mm, like white fox and coyote and all this stuff, and they were they were covered on the outside, and then inside was memory foam, and you weren't supposed to wear anything with them, so they shaped like a sock because they'd shape right to your foot. Wow. So, and that was supposed to be Canadian made. So I feel like there's like this. That that more that trend too of like Canadian like maple syrup Canadian, <laughs> or like you know related to like the stereotypes, but then also like that culture of yeah. the footwear here yeah. as well. I haven't heard of those particular ones. I'll have to get that brand, and yeah. they were something that she saved up to buy. They also had cow um, hide, and so I'll have to I'll have to send it to you. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I remember following Manitoba mucklucks and. They used to be all made in Canada. Right. And one of the issues is scale, right? So mm-hmm. they scaled up and they had to go out because there is nothing here. Right. There is no manufacturing. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, like from what I read on their website, which is your choice to believe or not, was that it was like an authentic reason that they had to do that to continue the growth of their business, not that they wanted to take their business outside of Canada yeah. necessarily. So that's a thing that happens. Yeah, it is. And it's, tricky right I mean in some ways uh, are you going to be able to fight off the realities of today no you know and something that has been brought to my attention is like so okay you make everything locally what about the people in Bangladesh who do need that job which is a good point Mm -hmm. also people need jobs there let's make sure they're ethical safe fair you know all of them healthy all of those things as well so I you know, one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about lately is, do I want to be that person who's like, we do it all here or nothing at all? You know, am I going to be that kind of Luddite? Right. No. Right. No. Yeah. It's just, no, this is the time we live in. Yeah. Which means that maybe you're going to download an app to rent your jeans and that's okay. Yeah. And maybe everything won't be made here. But if more could be, that would be... That would be nice. That would be nice. That would be nice. Yes. Okay, okay, tangent. Jeans, right? So, like, what is the deal with jeans nowadays? Because so many... Like, what are jeans even made out of? <laughs> uh, oh, you're not wearing jeans. I'm wearing I'm wearing jeans. Jean shorts on. We have jean shorts on. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. I liked it. Okay, so they are mostly cotton, but often now with spandex in them, Mm -hmm. which makes them super comfortable. Right. I can't deny that. Spandex is a um, a, uh, person-made, I don't like to say (laughs) man-made, a person-made byproduct of oil. It's like a version of uh, a synthetic fiber. But it's super handy and stretchy, and it returns to shape very easily, which is great and very durable. So we have these natural fibers like cotton and hemp and wool and alpaca, which are have super qualities. And then we have the uh, processed, or sorry, not the processed, but the manufactured fibers like uh, rayon and nylon and um, 
uh, spandex and what's that other one that's really super glossy from the 70s um, I can picture the shirts right now it makes you sweat like a latex no I've seen those shirts they're gross. yeah that's a whole other world of clothing uh, polyester that's polyester yeah so those are all products Mostly from chemistry and oil, right? Post-World War II, we've got all this fabulous new product. And so we're going to figure out a way to use this. Kind of like food. Same story, right? Yeah. And uh, so you could, you could compare margin to like polyester shirts and see the rise after World War II. But that being said, there's still qualities about those fibers that are really useful to us. Right. right. Especially with tech wear and... You know, if you need gear for being outside, it, there's good things there. It's just um, the processes, can those processes be cleaned up? Mm -hmm. The recycling, these fibers can last for so long, we, we need to not be throwing them into a landfill, but right. recycling them. And right. as far as I know, there is one plant in Japan that will recycle nylon. But the fiber is so durable that like, you can break this stuff down and remake it with no degradation in quality. So this is, you know, the cradle to cradle thing. Right. Got to do, be doing more of that. Okay, cool. Because that, that was the thing with jeans is like, you know, people say like, oh, I bought these jeans. It left me 20 years. Well, cotton is really, really durable. It'll last for a very long time mm -hmm. uh, and wear very well, which is why they were workers' clothing for right. so long, right? Um, but, I mean, your spandex will, your spandex jeans will do pretty well. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't put them in the dryer. Mm. Spandex doesn't like heat. But you also don't need to wash your clothes as much as you think you do. I, I definitely don't wash my clothes as much as I probably should. <laughs> so <laughs> Just throw them in the freezer. Kill the bacteria. There you go. Yeah. Right on. Uh -huh. I'm down with that. Yeah. I mean, I pay per load, so I'd rather not. Yeah. So if you can find another way. Just air them out. Uh, the less you wash, the better. The more they'll last, the longer yeah, they'll last. Yeah, washing's huh. really hard on clothing. I mean, there used to be this thing called dress guards back in, like, the 40s, 50s. Like, little pieces of fabric that you would put, you know, the back of your collar, under your arms. Those places where you get all sweaty and slightly yellowish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To protect your clothing. Right, so they would last longer. Yeah, because huh. those are easy to change out. Of course. Makes sense, eh? Yeah. Back in the day when things... Yeah, when people made more sense. <laughs> so, anyways, back to your jeans. They're made out of. You can get entirely cotton jeans now, but a lot of them have something else right. in them as well. That's the way it goes. Yes, and the blue color comes from indigo, which is a very intensive plant that produces beautiful, beautiful colors. Uh, and then there's also synthetic dyes that replicate indigo as well. There's a really cool project out of California called Grow Your Own Jeans where the fiber shed, the, the woman, her name's Rebecca Burgess, who came up with this fiber shed idea, and I should have mentioned her earlier, because it's not like I was the brain behind this. Um, she worked with uh, cotton growers and indigo growers and grew her own pair of jeans. That's cool. Isn't that amazing? That's pretty cool. And did like a traditional Japanese indigo dye process. And so it's all compostable. You, you put your jeans back in the compost. That's cool. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I know. So I like neat. That. I need a new pair, so, you know, I'll just grow some. Yeah. It's hard to do in Canada. <laughs> yeah. But, With the cotton. Uh, I, from what I understand, yoga jeans are 
manufactured in Canada. I doubt highly that the fabric is made here, but it's a step. It's a step in the right direction. Okay, good. And then I think something we have to hit on is uh, some of the other projects that you've been a part of. So the 50 Mile Coat. So the 50 Mile Coat is uh, part of the 50th anniversary celebrations of a guild that I'm a part of, the Etobicoke Hand Weavers and Spinners Guild. Cool. So this is a bunch of people who are really, really good at spinning and weaving and knitting and rug hooking and back basketry and natural dyeing and all this stuff. So the guild is turning 50 and we are doing an art installation as part of the celebration. So cool. three weeks in a gallery in Etobicoke and we will be making a coat from raw fiber, so from the fleece from the sheep and cleaning, spinning, weaving, sewing, dyeing, felting, full finished coat, three months, three weeks, sorry, not three months. <laughs> and this is happening next month? Yeah, starts, we have a big spin-in on April 23rd. Spin-in. <laughs> where spinners from across Ontario are invited to join and uh, start spinning. So something like 40,000 yards of, of <laughs> yarn have to be spun. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole process, and it's done in an open gallery, so you can come and see, so what does it look like to weave fabric for a coat? Well, it looks like this. Right. You know, what does it look like to spin yarn? Different kinds of yarn, because you need the warp, the weft, the thread, mm -hmm. and everything sourced from within a 50-mile radius with some loose <laughs> 50 miles of peel. Right, right, Not of right. the art gallery. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. That's cool. So it's almost like a performance installation as well then because you get that interactive yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so you can come out, watch what's being done. There'll be opportunities to try out a few things. If you want to try working on a drop spindle or a spinning wheel or a little table loom, just to see what is it like. Do you want to touch the fiber? Do you want to know what does raw, raw sheep's fleece feel like? Mm-hmm. Well, kind of sticky, actually. Well, not sticky so much as lanolly. Right. Um, yeah, so it's exciting. It's about fiber shed type stuff, right? And it's also about saying, you know, here's all of these skills that are sitting in these communities. And guilds are all over. Ontario has mm -hmm. a pretty big network of guilds. And people with massive amounts of knowledge are in these guilds hanging out doing things. And, you know, if we need skills, this is where they are. Yeah, they're all here. Yeah. There's a huge group of people that are doing it. Yeah. And so this is, like, also an element that I'm interested in with this entire almost podcast series is these people who have these lives, who have these skills and interests and beliefs and morals that are integral to who they are as a person but aren't necessarily the, like, impetus for funding their life. Mm. So it's not something that you get up, you know, these hats are not making your wages. They're not the things <laughs> that you're paying your, like, your rent and your bills with. But it's something that is, like, a huge identifier of who you are, of what you do, and, and makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the fact that there are these huge communities that, you know, we don't Massive. know about. Yeah. And, like, these people who have, like, this skill and this knowledge, and it's just, like... And that's on top of, like, having families and working a job and all that other stuff. Like, that to me is really interesting. Yeah, and you say it really well. All of the things that people are doing in addition to the yeah. rest of their life. 
And yeah. it's not a hardship. You know, there are things that people want to do. It's like it's a genuine passion. Oh, but yeah. just that being, that being recognized as a value of having that diversity of interest in an individual and then mm. those individuals all coming together and forming this huge community. It's, yeah. I think that's really awesome. It is. And it also means that, you know, encyclopedias of knowledge are sitting around. So tomorrow we have a spinning day at the at uh, Nielsen Park Creative Center where the guild is housed. So Wednesday, second Wednesday of every month, people get together, sit in a giant circle and spin. So everyone brings their spinning wheel. <laughs> And sits there and spins. <laughs> That's so awesome. It is. It's really great. So you bring your projects. If you need help, there is someone there who's been doing this for longer than you've been alive. And so, you know, there's help They're going to help you. Yeah. And uh, then everyone brings their lunch. And this is my favorite part. Everyone will also pull out their placemat that they've likely hand-spun, hand-dyed, and hand-woven. Put it on the table. And then they're dishes, whatever they brought their lunch in, and then likely also a hand-spun, hand-dyed, hand-woven napkin to go with it. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. It's so fun. I just, it's so good. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. It makes me, it like, I just love learning about them because, I mean, to me, I just find them, I just find people interesting, and I find uh, their interest interesting and in just how that is so integral to who you are. Even though, I don't know, I, th I feel, I have an assumption that part of the world doesn't care about it so much. When people, when people meet you, it's like, oh, hey, you know, my name is Joe and I work here. And that's kind of like, sometimes it's as much as you get. Like, people are like, oh, well, what do you do? And maybe that's the thing that comes out of your mouth at that point in time, depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. But there are deeper experiences in us that are just like so, so important. And it's that good to know about. It's good to share. It's a good uh, editor. Oh, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, yes, that's the whole point. People. Gotta, gotta spread the word. And I also like like talking to you about it. Anytime we bring up another little part of the conversation, I'm like, man, that really makes me think of this person. And I think they would enjoy doing that. Or I wonder if they know about this because they'd be like, they keep mentioning it. And so it's like, here's a group of people they could learn from. Yeah. Hey, connect me with whomever you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Get more people involved in the oh, whole movement. Yeah. We should probably wrap. I'm gonna ask you for some recommendations. Okay before we finish up here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just like for my own learning once again. So typically I ask for, first off, is music. So band, singer, artist, something you listen to. So uh, I really love house. <laughs> and my favorite DJ right now is Henry, and I think the last name is Fear? I'm not sure. It's spelled... Is it uh, P F R? So there's a lack of vowels, <laughs> right? Which happens. <laughs> He's out of France. He's brilliant. Anything he puts together, I'm very. I just I get. How happy. do you listen to him? Online. You find his stuff online. So, uh, not songs anymore, but um, uh, SoundCloud. SoundCloud, yeah. Mm -hmm. Gold. There's so much gold on SoundCloud. Mm. Uh, I also asked for a book suggestion of some variety. Any type of book. Ooh. Book suggestion. <laughs> Some people have given me magazines in the past or oh. fiction, nonfiction. I'm a big reader, so I could go on at length. Um, Haroon and the Sea of Stories, Salman Rushdie. So good. Why is that your recommendation? I think because it's a good reminder that stories are worth telling. 
and that everybody's got a bunch of stories to tell, as I'm sure you're discovering by doing this I was going to say, it sounds like I should read it. Yeah, and the power of telling stories, which I think is also why I love the fiber shed stuff, because it's really just stories of people connecting to each other, and that's brilliant. Right. That's mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. And then the third suggestion is just a any suggestion you want to make. So if you're a fiber person and you like to work with a fleece, uh, I just have to say that any fleece from Dover Farm is incredible. It's the cleanest fleece ever. And if you like to do hand spinning, you know that BM, which is vegetable matter, is a big deal because the little sticks and bits that are in there, you have to pick them out. And there's nothing more irritating. But the fleece from Dover is so clean. It's like hardly anything in it. It's right. incredible. I was just there for their shearing day, and it, wow, they take so much care to make sure that fleece is clean. So it's like spinning a dream. Dover Farm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right on. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to just go check it out. <laughs> I actually have, I grew up with a friend whose mother spins. So, and my, my house actually that I grew up in has a spinning wheel as well. So they're not completely foreign to me, but, and I, I have tried it in the past <laughs> and like also made a mess of her wheel, but, um, it's, it feels good. It's you a good, I think I, I think I do. Yeah. We'll make that happen. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Thank I know it took us a while to, to like find time to get together, but this was really Very worth, worth it. it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs>